This is the legal podcast brought to you by Legal Hub Uganda, taking the law to the last mile. Hello and welcome. My name is Haba Todeke and I will be your host for today. In today's session, we shall be discussing contract law, basically introducing what this entire aspect of contracting is. Now daily lives we buy property, maybe we sell property and all these concerns it revolves around contract law. So today we shall get to understand what a contract is, whether it must be written or not, and expound more on the ingredients of contracts to be legal in Uganda. So you're most welcome, Mr. Emmanuel Elao. It's a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. Please tell us a little bit of what our listeners outside that should be expecting from this podcast. Well, um, you see, when we talk about contracts, we're introducing ourselves to business law. And every business person out there should be interested in listening to this podcast. Or any law student out there should be interested in listening to this because we're basically introducing you to, to what contracts are and what contracts law is. Okay, thank you. So personally, I expect to get so much enlightened in today's podcast because contracting is something that I think each and everyone does right from when they're born. Even children sometimes enter into contracts. Definitely. You'll clarify on this point, of course, as we go forth. But before we delve into any more things under this contract aspect, when did it originate in Uganda as a country? When did this entire paradigm of let us contract, we do this and this and that in business, when did it start? Well, thank you. In every community, for as long as there are more than two people living there, people have always contracted or made agreements in one way or the other. So the contract law in its current form, the way we know it, of course, comes from, uh, from parliament and the common law and things like that. But in the pre-colonial African societies, we had people actually entering into agreements in one way or the other. And these agreements were, were respected. Is, the, is there an example of this agreement that you could give us that used to happen back then? Well, of course, back then, it was mostly oral kind of agreements, right? Mm. So you find somebody maybe selling um, maybe a goat in exchange for something. It doesn't necessarily mean the aspect of money. It could be something exchanging hands for, for something. Mm. Because when we talk about contracts, we're talking about a set of promises exchanging hands. So in essence, it's like one person taking a benefit and the other making a, a, some kind of loss. So even in the African societies, people understood these concepts and that's why they could exchange their goods, do their butter trade and things like that. And that was some form of trade. Mm. And of course, you know, contracts play a significant role in trade. And these people were trading in the mm. pre-colonial periods. Yeah. I understand in Uganda's context back then, there were some places which used to produce world one of the communities in the country yes. to produce salt. Yes. So it would supply this salt to other communities and maybe you give them a, a goat or goats or something like that in exchange for the salt. Exactly. Yeah, so that is how it used to happen in the past. Yes, because we didn't have formal currencies at a certain point. Though, of course, you know, if you have studied history, you realize that uh, gradually currencies came into place. It could, have, it could be some metals, it could be some shells of sorts that we're using. To, to, to complete or conclude their contracts. So in simple terms, contracts have existed in Africa for as long as we can. We Definitely, can. yes. Okay. That's true. So now to the current times, because now we have money, the financial issues, every, every transaction entails money, at least in some way. Mm. Whether you're buying a car, you're buying land, you're buying just about anything. Money has to exchange hands. Yes. So what is a contract in today's context? Now, is it is it the same as the way it used to be or something has changed? There is some modality. 
Now, of course, at the very core, it is still the same because something is exchanging hands for something. So the very basis, the foundation still exists. In the current Uganda, we, we have the Contracts Act of 2010. But even before we arrive at the Contracts Act of 2010, previously, the common laws played a significant role in, in defining what contracts are, uh, how they were to be concluded. But until 2010, uh, we didn't have a comprehensive law on this. So in 2010, we enacted the Contracts Act, which is now the law that we're following alongside the, the common law. So basically what they have done is to reduce the common law into this document we call the Contracts Act of 2010. And it's the one that governs all agreements in this country. Mm. Yes. So it doesn't matter how big or how small the agreement is, it is that Contracts Act exactly. that governs it. Yes, definitely. But of course, the, the other considerations that come into play. Mm. Yeah. So what is a contract? Well, if one had a chance to look at the Contracts Act, they would definitely be interested in Section 10 of the Act, which says that, um, that a contract is basically an agreement made with the free consent of parties with capacity to contract for a lawful consideration and with a lawful object with the intention to be legally bound. So, but in, a, in layman terms, it's basically an agreement between two or more people for as long as whatever they're agreeing on is within the law and there is consideration. Consideration like something exchanging hands for something, but it must be within the law. Yes. Well, quoting from your definition of what a contract is, people should have some intentions. The intention to become legally bound, the intention to this, maybe capacity to contract, sound mind. Please help us break down these terms that you've listed. You see, when you talk about an agreement, it has an element to do with the free consent, right? A person must consent to whatever agreement is being made. So, for a contract to be valid, there's usually what you call the ingredients of a valid contract. Mm. So. Free consent means that the person is willingly entering into this agreement with another person. There is no undue influence. Undue influence is, for example, where someone uh, is, has a higher power than a person is contracting with and then he forces this other person to make an agreement. Assuming, for example, there is this local farmer in the village, he has harvested maybe, let's say, 10 bags of millet. Mm. Then there is, this person is coming to buy and he seems to be really well off. So this woman is like, I'm selling this millet at maybe 20,000 shillings a bag. Mm. And that gentleman, because he's rich and this person is poor, has the person needs money, mm. like very urgently, and as such, they can't do that much bargaining. Mm. So that other person comes and takes this this millet at maybe, at maybe let's say, 5,000. Is that an unfair thing, undue influence? Or? Well, of course, that takes us to another ingredient, what we call consideration, the money which is exchanging hands. The law does not set the price whatever smallest amount for as long as you have agreed. But undue influence has this issue of somebody exerting influence on another person, so, such that that person is agreeing to a sale without a free will. Mm. You know, maybe like you're saying, the farmer needs the money and blah, blah, maybe a sick child. So he's forced by circumstances to sell. So that could be debated whether that contract is valid or not, because when people are entering into an agreement, you have a meeting of minds of equals. So when one person is exerting that influence, then that agreement, unfortunately, may be, may be voidable. It could be done away with. Mm, because the person is being unfair is to be, you. Is being unfair or is being unfairly forced to, to mm. accept. Mm. So such a person in some circumstances could raise complaints and such a contract could probably be uh, set aside. Mm. 
but because of the, 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 the example you've given, the person maybe needs money for, you know, for whatever issue they're facing at a given time, then they may have to accept you know, a lesser price. But again, that goes to the government because the government is supposed to offer these farmers a certain level of protection so that they can avoid such incidents mm. of being coerced by traders who have the money to sell their, their crop, their hard-earned crop, even at lesser prices, which is grossly unfair. Mm. Yeah. And it actually happens. It happens a lot. I'm sick of that undue influence question. Eh? So undue influence, does it basically happen to strangers or it happens to people within the same sort of relationship? Mm. Like if, for example, this is your father and you're the child and your father is like, man, this is what is supposed to happen. Mm. You get it? So that is what happens. Or even outsiders, like some stranger can be like, no, what, this and this and this. Mm. They dictate. Of mm. course, you have said that a farmer and a, and a person is coming to buy your produce, as an example. Mm. So does it happen under both circumstances or there's just one where undue influence happens? Now, generally, undue influence is recognized by law for all transactions between parties, right? But of course, the example that you give of, for example, father and son or husband and wife, I mean, undue influence could be imputed. Maybe father and son, but it's very closely related to husband and wife, for example. Because we all know what happens in some of these relationships. There might be some kind of blackmail and things like that. So, for purposes of protecting the institution of marriages, we should be asking another question. Can a husband and wife contract easily? In some places, it could be imputed that is actually undue influence, either from the husband, the wife, you know, when you talk about the deep pocket theory in a family, oftentimes it is people look at the men as the guys with the money and things like that. So when, so does the weaker part in that relationship have that bargaining power? Or what bargaining power does the woman have? What if it's the woman who has the money and the man has little? Can at the same level? But the very basis of a contract is that we should be having the two parties who are negotiating from an equal point of view in order to avoid what? That undue influence. I'll give you an ex another example. Um, look at banks. Uh, you have yourself entering into a contract with a bank, you're opening a bank account or you're transacting. So a bank usually has all the set of requirements, the terms and conditions which you must sign. And I'm sure many people sign these terms and conditions without even reading them. So you as an individual with 1 million shillings as a savings, with a bank that has 100 billion, mm -hmm. can you ably negotiate? Right? Mm. So those are some of the issues that sometimes come into into play. Oh, okay. Yes. What about the other the other ingredients? Please tell us more about them. There's what we call capacity to, to contract. Mm. If two people are entering into an agreement, they must have capacity. And what is this capacity? Capacity is the ability or the competence in law to enter into agreements. Now the law, for example, sets out in the constitution who is a child. Generally, in Uganda, a child is a person who is below the age of what? 18 years. Now, those above the age of 16 can contract in certain respects, but for as long as it is to their personal benefit. How about a child of 10 years, for example? Do they have the capacity to, to enter into an agreement with another person? If a child of 10 years came into your shop and said that I want to buy an item, let's mm. say a sack of sugar, mm. could any reasonable man enter into contracts with this, with this child, even if they have the money? What if they have picked the money from home without clearance? What if there are so many apps that could come into play? So does that child have the capacity to contract? There might be exceptions for purposes of what we call necessaries. Now, necessaries are things which are essential in life to a child. Mm. 
you know maybe could be a pen could be bread could be what maybe children could transact to that limited extent but they can't transact in a bigger sense now that's one two we have people who are mentally disturbed people who are suffering from mental diseases or persons of unsound mind in the streets we call them mad people but in law or according to practitioners they will tell you those are persons of unsound mind Now, does a person of unsound mind have the capacity to contract? Mm. The answer is no. They do not have the capacity. But there are also people who suffer not that they are entirely of unsound mind, but sometimes they are of sound mind, sometimes they are of unsound mind. Mm. People who have periodic mental illnesses. Mm. Those guys are capable of contracting to the extent that they are contracting during the time when they are of sound mind, mm. right? But of course that places a burden on the persons with whom they are dealing. to determine possibly whether this person is of sound mind at that particular point in time when they are making the agreement because you might make the contract or agreement with the person now and then tomorrow they turn around and say that I was not sound mm. at that moment I was mentally disturbed so you need to establish and be very sure that at that moment they're of sound mind exactly but the person may also be of sound mind and then you find the family turning up tomorrow because maybe they didn't like the kind of contract or agreement this guy made and then they'll turn around and say that guys you know our family member was sick at that moment mm. and therefore didn't have the competence and which therefore throws the the value of that contract into what into jeopardy now before you come out of it you'll have wasted three years in court trying to determine whether this person is, was of sound mind or unsound mind and things like that so that is capacity so you have to be sure that the person with whom you're contracting has got the capacity to do what to contract well on capacity the first thing you talked about was uh, children a child is maybe 10 years old yes. and your example was if this 10 year old child comes to shop to buy sugar you as a shopkeeper what do you do do you sell to the child if you do sell mm. it's quite risky but in practice parents sometimes send children to shops please yes. go and buy this go and buy a bunch of matoke maybe go and buy 10 kilos of posho and this child is a 10 year old 5 6 7 8 9 10 of course close by home so if this child goes to that shop and buys that bag of sugar mm. and brings it home is is the contract concluded or of course at that moment it is um, it's concluded because money has exchanged hands property has exchanged what hands but of course it's common practice here to you know for parents to do this kind of uh, transaction send send the kids but of course those are those are really petty you know transactions that mm-hmm. children could easily do but now take this the bigger level I don't know if you ever watched uh, the Harry Potter movies back then. Yes, yes, I did. A majority of the actors mm. in the uh, and actresses in that in those series were actually children mm. below the legal age to transact in the UK. Mm. So most of them were were having their money entering their accounts, but they couldn't transact at that big level, let's say buy a house here or buy whatever. They mm. could only act through their guardians, mm. right? Or even let's bring it home. Look at a fresh kid, mm. you know whom everybody I presume knows. Mm. Now fresh kid, he can't do without his parents. The mm. the music promoters must act, you know, through the parents of uh, you know of uh, of that kid, of mm. fresh kid. Or even look at these kids who won uh, was it East Africa Got Talent? Yes, yes. The two the two. They won some money. I don't know was it 100,000 or something like that. Can those children tomorrow wake up in Kampala and start splashing that money on the street? You know, mm. probably not. Mm. because they will not be having the competence mm. would they would they be in position to walk to spare motors and buy a car mm. at $20,000 or $30,000 probably mm. not the owners of spare motors would be 
very wary of uh, transacting with the kids mm. unless they are accompanied by by an elder person mm. who is their guardian and of course by default sometimes we we consider the parents of a child mm. their first you know area of contact in, t- in terms of, uh, of of guardianship and that's why you're seeing parents all over the place fresh kid you're seeing his father mm. the mother they're all around because there are other considerations this kid should be in school mm. you know trying to develop some formal skills mm. as opposed to engaging in, in business but of course fresh kid is lucky that he has also got a talent before even next the age of 10 years mm. but even then for purposes of guidance the law would demand that he be guided to some extent in yeah. terms of contracts in terms of contracts and of course alongside the, his general well-being mm. in life because as a child the law is very clear this child has a right to food to education uh, mm. shelter you know among things, others among others mm. so if he happens to have money you know the money might be short lived what mm. if a fresh kid loses his, his talent after three years after let's say it's now 10 years and he no longer has a talent can he survive on his, on his own can Probably any parent not. in this mm. in this Uganda welcome the kid that easily? Probably not. And that's why we must ensure that the kid's parents are playing a significant role because legally they are bound to do so even with or without the success of this child. What is another ingredient that you'd like to enlighten us on? Well, um in law we talk about lawful consideration and with a lawful object. What is the objective for which you're contracting? Very important. Now, can you make an agreement for example to sell cocaine in Uganda? No you can't because the law doesn't permit I mean issues to do with drug abuse it's a public policy issue mm. in fact if you got selling drugs that could be a criminal act mm. so can you enter a contract to that no can you enter a contract to kill another person no you can't because it's not enforceable mm. you know imagine if somebody hired a hitman and doesn't pay the hitman can the hitman go to police sta- to a nearest police station and <laughs> say that uh, this guy hired me to kill so and so and i killed and, and i killed now paid. he has not mm. paid me mm. you know every sane person cannot do that because you'd be arrested immediately mm. at police at mm. police so the objective must be really mm. lawful you know mm. in some respects also we have seen um, you know it's i mean it's common this is common maybe at campuses i don't know how true it is but i have heard that you have pimps mm. P- guys they call pimps these are guys who are connecting uh, campus ladies to these uh, you know rich men in town you mm. know i mean some form of prostitution of sorts can you do that that's not a lawful what mm. you know objective so okay. you can't you, you can't be doing that yes so if you must enter into an agreement it must be for an activity which the law permits mm. anything outside that is not what permissible okay yeah any other ingredient i think that is self explanatory you put it as clear as possible yes so is there any other ingredient that you'd like to enlighten us on now it's also important that parties take into consideration the issue of, of intending to be legally bound mm. right so whenever you enter into an agreement it is a, can we assume or it is presumed that you intend to be legally bound you intend to be legally the mind your mind must be in it you know that this has implications and i'm signing it off so i think th- this protects us from um, from jokers right someone might be joking that he wants to sell or has not what you call mere puffs if you're a law student or at least law students no will tell you about the case of uh, Khalil versus uh, Kabulex Mokbol wherein uh, this guy advertised and stuff like that and then they were turning around to say it was a mere puff look at um, adverts let's say from telecom companies they'll tell that to abcd you're going to win what the car but 
towards the end of that agreement have you heard them putting up terms and conditions yes yes oftentimes they are uh-huh. so if you look at those terms and conditions sometimes they they reserve the exclusive right to determine who has won Mm. So if they announce that so and so has won, you cannot turn around and say, hey, if, even me, I did the same things. How comes I didn't what? I didn't mm. win. But the, so they intend to be legally bound, but their intentions are qualified with the terms and conditions. Mm. So if you say, if an individual says that I am selling this house, he can demonstrate his intentions probably by doing what? By putting it in what? Mm. In writing, willingly. Mm. And then you can assume that this person intended mm. to be legally what? legal bond but if i mean that's there could be so many scenarios mm. imagine an agreement being concluded in a in a bar mm. you know when you're very drunk when you're very drunk the guy's been drinking beer from from 4 p.m in the afternoon and then tells you that let's meet at the bar at at, at 10 mm. to discuss business what kind of business can discuss with a man who's drunk mm. is he in his right mind is that is he a person of sound mind at that moment mm. can he able contract mm. If he tells that I've given you my car, go with my car, I've given you the keys, mm. would you reasonably believe that he's in a right state of mind to be in, to intend to actually give you that car? Reasonably, I think no. Yeah, because in the morning the guy could sober up after sleeping and say, hey, where's my car? I want my car back. I want my car back. <laughs> what would you say? You know? Yeah. Mm. Is there any other ingredient? I mean, there, there are lots of others, but uh, the way the law has been structured, each of them has somehow been placed into those that I have uh, that I have mentioned. So now that you've stated all these ingredients, assuming I have the capacity to contract, you know, I can legally consent. There's a lawful object. I am of sound mind. Uh, maybe the the I have the intention to be bound, but the consideration is not lawful. Does me having lacking just that one ingredient defeat? My intention to contract. Yes, it does. Mm. So these these ingredients are like pillars of each other. Yes, mm. they work together mm. as one. Without one, it's defeated. Yes, you may have the money, you love, you may have paid and intended to be bound and blah blah blah. But the person you're dealing with is of unsound mind. Mm. That could you know vitiate the contract. It's just like if you have a car, these four-wheel drive cars. Assuming these small salon cars with four tires, mm. two in front, two behind. Mm. Three tires are there, one is off. Mm. That car can't run. It's exactly. the same sort of. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for that mm. wisdom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, going on, must must contracts be written or they can be oral? Like I can I can come to you and be like, uh, Council Emma, mm. I'd like to buy your car. You say your car is 50 million. I'm like, I can't buy your car at 50 million. And that is it. Can, can that be concluded as an oral contract or is there specific where that contracts are? Now, if you look at the Contracts Act, as is, it still tells you under section 10, subsection 5, that every agreement for which the, uh, that, that, that exceeds 25 currency points must be in writing. Now, a currency point according to the Act is 20,000 Uganda shillings. Mm. So, 25 currency points translates to 500,000. Mm. So, any agreement which goes beyond 500,000 must be in writing mm. shall be in writing the law is very specific mm. right now those that are below the 25 currency points let's let's say 499 up to 499,000 mm. you could have it in oral mm. you could of course i would discourage people from having oral agreements even if it's uh, for 100,000 you're always better off having it in written form mm. 
or in some form of data uh, mode because where society has reached we have so many unscrupulous you know individuals mm. people are no longer trusted mm. people do their own things you can't even trust a priest mm. now mm. where the society is because it has decayed mm. over time mm. so if you risk to have an unwritten contract mm. with another person tomorrow they, they could deny you mm. what will you do nothing you cannot it, prove yes it will be your word against their word mm. you'll have to produce evidence mm. that somehow you had this agreement did mm. you have a witness mm. did what so it is usually it places a burden on on the person who claims to have made an agreement mm. you know that's why i would advise that please have the things written down it costs you not much mm. now as a lawyer i know that people out there oftentimes think that a lawyer is an unnecessary cost right mm. so you find that they they enter into disagreements downtown or wherever uh, i mean exchange a bag of money trust and these things they don't they say lawyers are unnecessary mm. but then eventually when things go bad they still come and look for lawyers, lawyers. now mm. to to correct the mistake that they will have made, made. Mm. but remember at that point not even a lawyer can guarantee you success mm because there are so many considerations what if the other person is is more sharp as destroyed evidence and has threatened people and blah 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 even a lawyer could cannot save you at that moment and that's mm. why i would personally advise you that if possible find yourself a lawyer it's not very expensive mm. as compared to the mental yes disturbance you'll go through yes. the losses financially and all this exactly. it's, it's a cheaper option yes imagine you've given someone a hundred million the lawyer would have probably charged you less than 5 million mm. less than 5 million or less than 10 depending mm. on which lawyer and where because mm. some people you know can come to their own agreements mm. so this fees could really be a small amount so please if possible find yourself a lawyer before you do anything legal mm. including with the agreements yeah okay thank you so much for taking off your time to come and tell us more about uh, contracts business law the importance of us having a contract in our daily transactions and all that. Today, personally, I've gotten to learn that when you're contracting, it must be written. It can either be written or oral. Above 500,000, it must be written. This, among other things, have been spoken about in this podcast, which has been brought to you by Legal Hub Uganda. Thank you so much once more, Mr. Emmanuel Lau, for taking off your time to come and be with us today. Please give us a few parting shots as we conclude today's session. Uh, well, uh I would like to thank you for for this program and I hope that uh, listeners out there have had the chance to learn one or two things as Legal Hub Uganda we remain committed to giving you all the necessary legal information that you might need. I thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much. Till next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Legal Podcast brought to you by Legal Hub Uganda, taking the law to the last mile. For more information about this and other topics, you can reach us on our social media platforms. You can also call 0392-176-853 or visit www.legalhubug.org.